0: This morning as we come to God's holy word, we're putting our trust in the fact that the spirit will be at work in us. So let us ask God to work that way in us as we hear his word this morning. Let us pray. Triune God, grant us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of the power that is at work in us. It is through Christ our Lord that we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Amos chapter 5 as we continue our Old Testament public reading of Scripture with verses 1 through 17 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground... He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek God, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. "'Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. "'Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. "'Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, says. "'There will be wailing in all the streets, "'and cries of anguish in every public square. "'The farmers will be summoned to weep, and the mourners to wail. "'There will be wailing in all the vineyards, "'for I will pass through your midst,' says the Lord." Our responsive psalm this morning continues our journey through Psalm 119. We say responsibly verses 49 through 56 today. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my vision, and the, gives me life. the insolent utter- utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. We continue our journey through Ephesians this morning. We've arrived in chapter 4. Today, we will be looking at verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Here ends the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Amen. We have dug into the depths of the book of Ephesians so far this year. We have seen that the Apostle Paul wants us to understand the full scope of God's saving work for his people. And we are saved by God's mercy and grace And we are his children because of this. But we have also seen that this means that together we are the family of God. Regardless of ethnicity, background, or income bracket, or any other worldly division, we are united to each other because we have been united to Christ. And as we get to chapter 4 of this epistle, we're going to start to see what this means for us The back end of Ephesians is about the practical implications of the gospel, and it is so important that we remember that the gospel has been spelled out clearly for us. God has rescued his people, and he's brought them into his family as daughters and sons by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of the work of Christ alone. And it is through an understanding of the unmerited mercy and grace of God that we understand how we should live. As we saw last week, the love of God is what roots us. The love of God is what grounds us. And this understanding is important because the gospel is primary, and there are many reasons this is important, but one of the most practical reasons is the grace that it gives us to live this Christian life. Bookstores are... Not as big a deal as they used to be, but you can still find them. Whether it's a big chain bookstore or a small local bookstore, one of the biggest sections in those stores is always going to be the self-help section. Everything from weight loss to productivity to finding a spouse to improving your financial status, you can find a book for whatever you think your weakness is and someone will tell you how to get better. Self-improvement is big business. It's a big deal. But have you ever bought one of those books? Or have you ever checked one of those books out from our fine local library? If so, how did it go for you? How did it all work out? Did you do everything that the book suggested so that you could improve your life? Well, maybe you did at first, but then maybe you slipped back into some old habits or you found that some of the suggestions didn't quite work as you had hoped, and so things sort of just dropped off. Now, I don't think it's just me that's experienced this, but I don't think this is also only a problem when it comes to self-help books. I think we struggle in this same way with doing what God's Word tells us to do. And this is why we need to start and end with a biblical understanding of God's grace. Because if we came to these sections of Scripture and thought that this was how we are made right before God, we would despair. Because we would fail to perfectly do what's spelled out for us in His Word. And without an understanding of graceful, merciful election of God for His people, we would think that, well, we can't ever do this. And this usually leads to two errors. It causes people to give up on God altogether because they think, I can't do this. I'll never please God. I can't live up to his standard. Then there's another error where we start to think that, well, this is hard and I fail all the time, so God grades on a curve. We think that God... Just appreciates how hard we tried and he lets us in because we meant well but like I said these are errors the reason that we have salvation is because of the grace of God what God required of us was satisfied in the person and work of Jesus Christ he is our salvation and our great reward how we live then as a response to what he's done. And if we forget this as we come to the sections of Scripture that tell us how to live, we're going to have a problem. So that's why in most of Paul's epistles, we see him clearly spelling out the Gospel before he gets to the practical implications of it. And this understanding is vital as we now shift focus beginning here in chapter 4. We've just finished chapter 3 with this amazing prayer that Paul has for the church. And so with this reminder of God's greatness, Paul tells the church in Ephesus to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. And the idea that is being presented here is, is the way that we walk around. The way that we live our everyday lives. It's to be our operating system. What informs how we live. And I think I think I have a good way to get a grasp on this walking around idea that Paul is trying to give us. And I, I go to sports fandom. I think, I think oftentimes we think that our Christianity should be like the people at the football game who are dressed up and sitting right along the edge and when the cameras come on them, they act all crazy and wild. We think our Christianity should look that, like that. We should be excited like that all the time, but if you've ever been to a game, you know that that's not the state of affairs the whole game. Those people are tired, but when the camera comes on them, then the fandom comes out. Our faith shouldn't be like that, and we know that fandom isn't like that either because I haven't researched this extensively, but I'm pretty sure that those people who go to Oakland Raiders games with the Darth Vader mask and the spiked shoulder pads... I don't think they wear those when they go out for supper with their families. Like I said, I haven't done the research, but I think I, I think I got a pretty good guess there that that's not the case. The idea of walking around living this faith is more like the fan whose list of favorite shirts are all for his team, and they're the first ones that come out of the closet when they're clean, and maybe even get worn when they're not clean. They walk around in them. And they're loyal to their team. Even though the loss column is higher than the win column, it isn't just about big moments or being seen. But it's about being a true fan. It's about walking around, having this inform who we are. And that illustrates the idea of walking around that Paul is pointing out to his here. And then we see that it goes back to a calling that we have received in Christ. It goes back to the grace that we've talked about. In other words, live your life, walk around in light of the good news that Jesus Christ has saved you from the wrath of God. And then Paul gets into what this looks like for us. We're to live a life that is humble, he says. Well, the gospel informs this for us, doesn't it? Because we have a savior who although he was God the Son, second person of the Godhead, he humbled himself. He took on human flesh, and in the ultimate act of humility was forsaken for us on a Roman cross. We understand how to be humble by looking at the gospel. And we also read that we're to live a life that is gentle and patient, but the gospel informs this too. Because we see that God is merciful, slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And we have a Savior who said, let the little children come unto me. The gospel informs how we are gentle and how we are patient. And we're to bear up one another in love. Once again, the gospel informs our love. Because we see this love that Jesus had for us to save us. As we read in 1 John... We love because God first loved us. And it's with all these character traits in mind that Paul also tells the church to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As we have seen in Ephesians so far, we're united to Christ and we're united to one another. The Spirit has worked this in us. And so we're to keep this unity, it's to be maintained. Notice, it's to be maintained. It's not something that's manufactured by us. It's a work of the Spirit, and that is the unity that we then remain in, what God has already done for us in Christ. We must remember, though, that this unity is in Christ. It is in what He has done, and the work of the Spirit in us. This is our standard for unity. This is why we are united It is not a can't-we-all-just-get-along kind of unity. Because if someone denies the work of Christ and the authority of Scripture, they are denying the unity that we have in Jesus. They're not maintaining it because they have forsaken the one thing that unites us together. Our unity is not just unity for the sake of unity. It is in Christ, through the Spirit, And that is how the body of Christ is united. And it is the only glue that will hold us together. When that uniting factor is abandoned, there cannot be unity. And there are so many reasons that there is division in the visible church. But the primary reason that this happens is because the gospel of God's grace is denied and rejected. That is why we must hold fast the gospel of God's grace and stand on the foundation of Scripture. It's the only way that we can maintain true unity of the Spirit. And we see Paul drive this truth home in the next few verses. There's one body, the church. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is one. There's only one hope to which we are called. When the Holy Spirit brought us to faith, through the proclamation of the gospel, we were not given multiple options. We are not called to rest on Jesus for our salvation and also our works. We weren't called to a faith in Christ and also some pagan rituals of the culture. We were called to the only hope that we've got, and that's Christ. He's the only Lord, and there's only one baptism. That is the covenant sign of the promise of God to his people. There is one God and Father, and because of that fact, he is the one who is over all and through all and in all. Are you seeing the theme here? The word one is used seven times in these few verses to drive home that there's one point of unity. And notice that all three persons of the Godhead are present in these three verses. Honest to Pete. We did not plan that out when we had the children's message about the Trinity this morning. But here it is. All three persons of the Godhead present in these verses. This is where unity is found. In the triune God. Notice the unity that Paul is pointing out to us. Remember those old spotlights that they used to have at car lots? They were gigantic. And you could see them from 20 miles away. We lived... 12, 15 miles from Sioux Falls, and when they would have those at the car lots, you could see them going through the sky from 15 miles away like like they were right close. Paul has taken one of those spotlights and is shining it on the point of unity here. One, one, one. We can't miss it. If we forsake the things that Paul is pointing out to us here, unity will not be possible. And so if we want to be united, we establish ourselves in these things here in this passage. One body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father of us all. We can have faith in this fact because God has given grace to each one of us. This grace is given to all of us and it is to the benefit of the church We're united, but that doesn't mean we are not unique. Our unity is of doctrine and of purpose, but that may be exhibited differently between each one of us. We have different gifts, and we're going to see those gifts later on in the book of Ephesians. They're exhibited differently between each of us, and we are called to use these gifts in this one body. This is so important, and Paul is going to spell out for us what many of these different gifts are. But first he quotes from Psalm Psalm 68, verse 18. And there's several ways that this passage has been interpreted. But we're going to look at the main theme here. The main thing that we get from this verse that he quotes. This is what's important. After the ascension, what happened? Pentecost. The Spirit was poured out on the disciples and gifts were given to the church. And the big idea that we're meant to see here is that when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he equipped his church to go out and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. The reason he ascended was so that his church could receive these gifts. And we have these gifts. We have been blessed by God so that we can share this gospel of Jesus Christ with the world. And we see here what different gifts were given to the church and the purpose of them as we look at verses 11 through 14. By the work of the Spirit, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are given to the church. Now apostles, they were the ones who were the eyewitnesses to the risen Christ, and they established for us the foundation of Christ's church. And there were prophets. They declare the word of the the Lord. And we need to remember, this is not usually a prediction of the future. Uh, We usually think that when we hear the word prophet that they're predicting the future. It's primarily about that. But in God's word, a prophet is declaring the word of the Lord. And so evangelists also are a gift to the church. They go out and they bring the gospel to others. And the word pastor here, If we were to translate that word literally into the English, the word would be shepherd because pastors are to care for God's flock. And we know what teachers are. And so we read here that these gifts given to church are for a specific purpose. They're to prepare God's people to serve and to build up the body of Christ. Our being united together and becoming mature in the faith is the goal of these servants that God has given to Christ church. If that is the goal, then what's the greatest enemy of the church? It's those who divide by false doctrine. Those who have moved away from teaching that salvation is of Christ alone. As I've said many times before, discerning false teaching is not easy. But, It also isn't something that's relegated to pastors and theologians. We can do a quick check and look at what is being taught and if it is pointing to the saving work of Christ alone and the sufficiency of God's Word to bring people to faith by the power of the Spirit then we know that we're on the right track. Sound doctrine is rooted in the grace of God. When we cling to that we find out that we will no longer be like infants, tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine or by deceitful scheming. We can have a certain confidence in what is being taught if Jesus Christ and him crucified is what is being delivered to us. And we often rightly get concerned with false teachings that happen in the church. But most of the time, the first thing that is abandoned is the preaching of the sufficiency of God's Word and the sufficiency of the power of the cross. Most of the time, the false teachings that we see are the result of the moving away from the proclaiming of Christ and Him crucified. Those things that we see as error aren't leading to that. An abandonment of Christ and Him crucified is what leads to error. And so to be prepared for facing false teaching We must center ourselves on the one spirit, the one Lord, the one faith, and one baptism, and one God and Father of us all. But when we come in contact with false teaching, we have to do something hard, according to this verse here. We must speak the truth in love. What we see is that speaking the truth from God's word is actually a loving act because it calls us to conform our beliefs and actions to what God has intended for us. So we must be diligent in the Word of God. We must stand on it and be faithful to it. And this is how we grow up into Christ, and it is how we work together as the church. We focus on who He is and what He has done, and then the actions of this body, of the body of Christ, will reflect what the mission of Christ is in the world. And that's our goal, to spread God's word and to serve others in Christ's name. And as we think about the practical implications of this, it's easy for us to see the divisions within the church. Some of the divisions are concerning, but at the same time, these divisions afford us the opportunity to unite. We can find true unity with our sisters and brothers out there, When we see that their focus is proclaiming the gospel of God's grace, we can unite around the truth of the gospel and continue the mission that Christ has called us to. This is the mission that we are to walk around doing, the mission we live into, and it's a life that's worthy of the calling that we have been given in Christ Jesus. And as we grow in our understanding of God's grace, we will also see the unity of believers under this same message, a unity that is not superficial, but a unity that is rooted in what our unity is truly to be rooted in. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And this is because the grace that we have been given is in Christ, and it is sufficient, and it shows us who God is. We are one body because the blood of Christ has torn down the barriers that are between us we have one spirit who brought us to faith and builds us up in that faith we have one hope that through the work of Christ we are forgiven we are declared righteous so that we can stand holy and blameless before God we have one Lord Jesus Christ who lived died rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father to give us this gift. We have one faith. We trust in this message alone because it's the only hope that we have. One baptism is what we have and that marks us as God's family and it's a sign and a seal of his eternal covenant with his people. And there is only one God and Father who is the creator of all things and is beyond description, and yet he knows us and loves us so much that he gave us all of these good gifts and he unites us under this one body. So as we leave from here today, may we live a life worthy of this good news that the one God that we serve may receive all honor, glory, and praise for what he has done. And what he has done has saved us by his grace, united us together, and given us this hope of the gospel. Amen.